You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome everybody to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive people, introverts, creatives, people that are the softies, uh, who are trying to figure out how to live in this crazy world that we live in, how to contribute in a meaningful way, and somehow do that without losing their sanity, without losing their health, without losing their sense of self. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on this show, and it's been a while since the last recording that I've done, and it's been, you know, I I had every intention of taking all of June to really sort of lean into uh, men's health and wellness, and I will be going back to that. Uh, It won't be as timely. I do have episodes on it, but I think the greatest challenge that I've had is, you know, my life got in the way uh, and some of it was so good. So as an example, I know I've alluded to the fact that I just purchased a new home and I'm, I was really expecting the house to be so anticlimactic. I was expecting that I was going to move into the home of, you know, one of, well, I don't know. I mean, how many times have I moved? I feel like I've moved almost as many times as years as I've been alive. Um, Because on average, I tend to move about once a year. So uh, yeah, I've moved a lot. And so I I kind of thought, well, it'll be no big deal. But it's a big deal. Because this is the first home that is really just mine. And it has, it's on a court. And it's three bedrooms. It's two bathrooms. And I think, what, 1,100, almost 1,200 square feet. It feels decadent, and every corner of it is up to me in terms of how I want to decorate it, which, given that I'm sort of a minimalist and I like Spartan surroundings, I mean, even as I'm recording this podcast, I'm sitting Indian style with a microphone that's plugged into a small laptop and is sitting on top of a, I don't even know what you would call this, it's like a really small file holder. (laughs) And so if you hear a little bit of an echo, it's because I don't have this room that I'm calling my office furnished. (laughs) Um, I thought it was going to be anticlimactic, and so it's not. It turns out it's lovely, and I feel excited, and I'm thrilled about the prospect of not having to move for a while. And so that was one thing that happened in this last month, six weeks, whatever. And on top of that, I allowed myself to just unplug for a little while. I wanted to have some fun. I wanted to just be for a little while. And I didn't intend for it to be so long. Except, well, life has a tendency to take you into new terrain. And one of the ways in which that happened was in my dating life. So I thought, I don't know what hit me. I don't know if it was hormonal. I don't know if it was just the pandemic or... Yeah, I don't know. You know, sometimes we go through phases and sometimes those phases are like, yes, I'm alone. And sometimes it's, oh, I'm alone. And I wanted to connect. And so I thought, I'm going to totally put myself out there. Or I don't even know if I said that consciously, but there was some 
switch, some shift. And it started with my birthday. So I, I went on my birthday to a gathering that my friend was hosting and it was not intended to be for my birthday. It was, uh, it was something she was going to be doing anyway. And then because she knew it was my birthday, she graciously said, well, why don't we like, I'll let the folks know that I've, I've told that are coming, that it is in fact your birthday. And, and they were, because they were very kind said, well, we'll bring cupcakes if Leah makes it, you know, we'll, we will sort of tip our hats to the fact that it is also her birthday. And, uh, they were of course being very conscientious and, um, you know, trying to do the six feet apart thing and, and yet still have a sense of community. So they mostly stayed outside and all the things, right? All the things that you would want a community to do and yet still be fairly smart. Well, in, in this party, I, I wouldn't say I met a guy, but I re saw a guy that I had seen in passing and there were, there was chemistry and that was fun and it was lovely and there was flirtation and there was some back and forth. We exchanged numbers and I didn't think it was really going to go anywhere, but okay. So it does. Um, and we start texting and then the texting turns into text flirtation. And then that turns into, Hey, Hey baby, why don't we get together? That was a wink. Um, (laughs) Uh, and so I decide to do that and, uh, we, we decide to meet, we have a date, uh, as in Seinfeld, they would say, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) Um, But what I wasn't doing well in the midst of all of this was letting my friend who knows this person and works with this person know that this was happening on the background. And I didn't because I didn't know what it was. And it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to say anything to anyone because I didn't want to. And so this is my precursor, my little teaser into the theme of what this podcast is about. And the theme is hard conversations. There was need of much of that in these last few weeks. This one tiny little snippet is just one example. So let me kind of go over all of the different things that happened and then I'll loop around to why this is important more broadly to this podcast and to the the subject. So I'm, I'm really sort of revealing a lot of personal stuff here because I want people who might be like me, highly sensitive, introverted, and yet curious and desiring of connection and wanting to experience life to the fullest, you know, sometimes that does feel like a juxtaposition, like a kind of paradox. I want people to see that life is messy and it's important for highly sensitive people to understand that one of the greatest challenges we tend to face is in effective and clear, concise communication. Because a lot of what I'm going to be talking about in this comes back to that over and over again, communication. So to go back to the story. Um, So the date happens, we get together and the following day, it's sort of like, hey, I, I don't really know what this is that we're doing exactly and we don't have to put any names to it, but I haven't let my friend know. I know that you work with her. We should probably let her know what's happening, but I wanted to get your permission, et cetera. And he of course was sort of like, oh yeah, let her know. I figured you already did. No big deal. So I do. I let her know within the hour, like, hey, this happened and I'm being coy and absurd and silly and I'm sending the sex in the city jokes to her 
and it becomes abundantly clear very, very quickly that she is not amused and in fact is hurt. She's hurt because she was not let in. She's hurt because these were two people that were supposed to be her friends and they didn't tell her before this as this was brewing and she works with this person and so this could potentially affect her work life and all the things. So then we have a conversation and that's a difficult conversation to have because she's now in a position where she wants to be honest and so that was her tough conversation. That was her saying with as much honesty as she could muster, hey, I don't know if I'm, it's okay that I feel this way, but I do and I don't like it. I don't like what's happening. It feels gross. It feels icky. And then of course my response to that was, you know, I don't understand. Why is this a big deal? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So that becomes one difficult conversation. And then she then had to kind of navigate that for herself and I navigated it for myself. And what was left was the need for the two of us to look at each other with new eyes. She had seen me up until this point as someone who was loyal and who understood what her values were and what she would want in a friend. And I understood that she was understanding and would be flexible. So we each were looking to the other with the lens that we use for ourselves. I'm extremely flexible and adaptable. It's just, I'm also very unclear and not assertive at all. She's not so much adaptable and flexible, but she's provides structure and she is very loyal and is clear with what she wants and what she needs. And so the two of us were sort of looking at the other with the lenses of our own selves. And so we had to back up for a minute and look at each other and say, whoa, well, where do we go from here? It was maybe one of the first times, you know, she was honest with me and it was maybe one of the first times that she was willing to be vulnerable. And I was looking to her and it was maybe one of the first times where I was willing to be angry. And I don't know that she was justified in being hurt. And even she said that. And I don't know that I was justified in being angry. And I said as much. But there we were. Each of us in our own foreign territory. And it was frightening. Because we each were seeing sides of ourselves that we were were not familiar with. And felt were rather clumsy. And we did the best we could. And then we did the best we could again. <laughs> and then we, so these conversations kept going on and on. And I think where we landed at a certain point was simply, okay, so whatever our friendship was like before, now it has to change because we are changing. And we have to be honest and we have to be willing to, to move forward. And what I was able to say to her, and I think she mirrored back, was, you know, I'm grateful it went down exactly as it did. All of the things, all of the mess of it, because it forced both of us to be real and to be honest. And up until this point, there had been a kind of an unhealthy string braided into an otherwise very robust friendship. And the unhealthy thread, if you will, that was woven in was patterning. Patterning where she just expected I would behave in certain ways and I expected she would behave in certain ways. And we weren't being honest when we were in that kind of patterning. We were being safe. And safe and honest and authentic are not synonymous with each other. So it felt good to engage in this conversation. That was only one such conversation that was being had, however. In the meantime, (laughs) so... 
as that unfolds and becomes its own thing, the gentleman where, with whom this whole thing, uh, the centerpiece, the center, you know, the, the gentleman with whom the date occurred with, he uh, came back to my place a second time. And in this instance, it was, uh, okay, let's have a real conversation. Not involving my friend, but, and he, he was able to say, listen, I, I'm attracted to you. There's nothing wrong with you. I want, I mean, I'm happy to keep going, but please know I'm in a rough spot in my life right now. I'm having to work through a lot of stuff and I don't know that I would wish that upon anyone. Certainly not someone I would be making a bid for partnership. So if it's something you can have some patience with, I'm totally open. But if not, I totally understand. But, you know, probably should have told you this sooner. And I just looked at him and could be, I felt nothing except relief because here was this human being who was just being his honest self. And yeah, he was confused and kind of going back and forth. And it's like, yeah, I I get it. You're a messy human too. Oh, thank God. (laughs) And I was able to hold the space for it and kind of go, no, you're fine. This is great. And so the two of us had that conversation and it felt like, all right, we're, we're on solid ground, or at least we're solid in our non-solidness. Now, this is just so you're aware, like I'm up until this point in my life, I've been what I would call a serial monogamist. So when I was in high school, I uh, fell in love with someone and dated him for seven years. And then I got out of that relationship because we had grown apart and there were there were lots of good reasons for us to break up. Uh, but ultimately, it wasn't because any either of us had done something cruel to the other. It was just this relationship has lived its life. So then got out of it, imagining I would be single for a long time and instead fell very quickly in love with another person and stayed with him for six years. <laughs> so and then I thought, OK, so then I was single for, I think, a solid year, which, you know, for me was an amount. And then I fell in love and was engaged for two years and then realized, oh, so quickly that, oh dear, no, (laughs) like we are not compatible. And that was a really difficult relationship to get out of because it, he had invested emotionally and financially into making our lives a unit and to untangle ourselves. I then had to repay that investment emotionally and financially so that he could, even if walk away feeling uh, wounded, he at least wouldn't have felt like he was wounded and swindled at the same time. I mean, maybe he still does feel that way. I don't really know. But my intent was to make sure that at least uh, at the end, he'd be walking away with a net neutral instead of a, a net loss. And so we divide and I move to Oregon from California and there's this sense of liberation and freedom and I spend, well, I guess it's been, what, that would have been in December of not this last year, but before, so it's been about a year and a half of singleness and this is me in my 30s with a grown-up income, not a large income, mind you, but an income that allows me, the minimalist that is me, me who is debt-free, um, me who is uh, doesn't require much to live a simple and easy life by myself. Well, not by myself, with a dog and with a cat. <laughs> so I'm never really alone. It's great. But now it's like, well, let's try dating. Wee! So this gentleman that I'm describing in this story that 
you know, by virtue of getting involved, ended up kind of exploding in, in a number, you know, like uh, stirring up a lot of complexity in my life, was one thread going. There was also another young man who I had been seeing very casually and sporadically, where we would get together. Sometimes it would just be dinner and conversation. Sometimes it would be more, but always just loveliness and always a kind of Teflon quality. Nothing that was sticky. Um, he was as Teflon-like as I, so there wasn't either, no, none, either of us could be the person to provide the stick. We were just always sort of smoothly gliding past each other. And it has been really beautiful. And yet, at the same time, it feels a little disrespectful because, well, while we never really had a conversation like, what are we? We also, there was a kind of loyalty that had developed between us. And so in the back of my mind, I thought, well, I'm not technically doing anything wrong because, you know, and and dating and seeing multiple people and, and, you know, kind of seeing what comes forth. But I don't know if I'm really going about it right either. But I just didn't want to have that conversation. So I continued on doing my thing. And then there was another, so that's in the back burner. That's its own thing. And then I meet a gentleman that I think, oh, well, this is nice. Um, We meet online. He's a single dad. Uh, He seems, you know, he's interested in meditation. He loves hiking and backpacking. And I thought, great, we have a lot in common. And we had been talking intermittently and it was all just light and we never met in person, but I thought, you know... Uh, why not me? So we do, and we go out for a lunch, and it's easy. There's no muss or fuss. There's no zing or zap, but there's a sense of, I can imagine what it would like to put my head on that shoulder. I could imagine what it would be like, and so on. So I, we have the date, and nothing romantic really, nothing, again, nothing crazy happens, but we both walk away kind of feeling like this was lovely. We should do it again. And so we do. He lives about an hour away. So it's not like we can do it the next day or anything like that. But it's like, eh, next weekend, let me know what you're up to. Let's get together. And so we do. And in that next date, in what seemed like a sort of natural flow, you know, his he has a little girl and, and he had said, well, she's currently being watched, but if you don't mind meeting her, I'm sure she'd be love, you know, love to meet you. And I thought, this seems a little soon, but you're the boss. And I don't, I love kids. Um, I've never felt the pull to have kids of my own, but I love them all dearly. They're fabulous little people. And so thought, sure. So we get together. I meet the, I meet the kid and she is a razzle dazzle, like, motion machine and she's clearly quick as a whip um smart as all get out and just a charmer and so it's like this is lovely i'm meeting another human so no big deal it seems to go well in that instance enough such that both of us say i want to do this again so we do so the next weekend comes and goes and you're maybe seeing now why there wasn't as much time for podcasting or for blogging or for doing all the things that i'm usually doing to you know promote my services as a wellness coach and as an educator <laughs> i mean i was too busy in the zazazoo as carrie bradshaw and sex in the city would say and uh 
In the last date, though, we have this weird, it, it feels strange, and we didn't sleep super well. I, he had invited me to stay over because uh, he, it was the 4th of July weekend, and he thought, well, I don't want you driving home if you've had alcohol, so uh, that was all lovely. So the next day, though, it feels weird, and maybe it's just because we're all tired, we didn't sleep super well, and eh, whatever, but I just kind of let it go and think, he'll let me know if it's done. And sure enough, I get a text message from him that basically says, you know, we got a little too close too quickly. I need my space, blah, blah, blah. Basically translation, I'm just not that into it, which is always a disappointment. I think no one likes that text, man or woman, straight or gay or whatever, whatever dynamic is at play. No one loves to hear the words. I'm just not that into you in any sort of form. But it was lovely because it was just honest. Whatever he had felt, he no longer felt. And he was done. And rather than play games and go around in circles and and try and make it so that I would dump him first or whatever, it was just, I'm good. I'm done. And so then my response was, thank you for your honesty. But you've got to understand, so (laughs) if this happens once, that's interesting. But it's now starting to seem like there's some patterning developing. And the things are brewing. I'm realizing, oh dear, okay, I'm gonna have to have some some convers like mm, I'm something about the way that I'm moving in the world is not clear enough and projecting a sense of what what I want or, or maybe it's just a fluke and I'm just just so happened to have extracted the same dynamic more than once. I don't know, but my bandwidth is already kind of getting taken up in the midst of all of this, one of my neighbors, not on either side of me, But a gentleman who lives across from me, mind you, has come over while I'm gardening and he says hello. And he's a very nice looking gentleman and he seems, oh, affable and charming. And we have a good conversation. It's pretty clear that there's some differences with regard to our political views, but we're both kind of, again, affable and friendly and, and we exchange information because we're neighbors. And then that develops into a thing. And he starts going into the realm of being more flirtatious. And I'm thinking, oh no. (laughs) I'm now in this position where, and again, theoretically there will be four conversations I had, but one of them had taken care of itself. And that was just a guy who said, I'm done, I'm not into it. The gentleman that I had met that was a friend with my friend or a coworker of my friend, he had been honest enough to say, hey, this is where I'm at. But we hadn't really totally closed the door on future engagements. So yeah, that was a conversation that needed to be had. And then there's the neighbor. So that is a conversation that needed to be had. And then there was, of course, the first gentleman out of the entire group that was this, my Teflon guy. And I thought, how did I get here? Because remember folks, serial monogamist. (laughs) Like I don't have the tools for this. I don't, I don't know how to do this well. I'm clumsy at it. And I'm really clumsy at being assertive and clear in communication because most of the time, at least as it relates to sexuality, like meeting potential partners, I haven't had to do that. I mean, I want to be clear here. If you see a picture of me, you'll see like, I'm very average looking. I'm not a knockout and I'm certainly not a showstopper. It's just, the nature of how life flowed, I guess. I don't know. But at any rate, here I was. And so in the midst of having very little bandwidth for any of the shenanigans that was this dynamic, I just decided, that's it. I need to clean house. So I send a text message. I know you all are squirming going, oh, text. Anyway, the first was to 
my Mr. Teflon <laughs> saying basically, cause he had made a bid to come and have some dinner together and just enjoy each other's company. And I said, you know, we can absolutely do that. But I think we need to have a conversation about what this thing is. Cause I just need help in navigating it. It's not an ultimatum conversation. It's not an urgent one. It's just an important one. So when you have the bandwidth for it, please let me know. And then yes, let's definitely get together. And in his usual fashion, he very easily and breezily said, sure, we should have that conversation. I'll see you tomorrow. So that was easy. Well, I mean, we hadn't had the conversation yet, but making a bid for it was easy. And then the next person I sent the text to was the gentleman who I, again, friends with a friend, that whole thing that had gotten very complicated very quickly. And his response was, yeah, I knew something was up from the text messages I was getting from you. I was kind of waiting for you to bring it up. So glad that you did. Maybe at some point we'll run into each other again when we're both in a better place. To which I could only say, yes, maybe so. So that was great. Easy peasy. No biggie. The third was the neighbor. Um, and he tried to be kind, but he was confused and understandably so. I mean, you have to put yourself in the shoes of a guy who doesn't know any of this background or context. And all he knows is we were having a perfectly affable, amiable, kind of funny, a little bit of flirtation kind of conversation. And then this text message comes that basically says, hey, listen, just so we're clear here, if you're just in it for friendship, that's awesome. But otherwise, I'm in a weird spot with dudes right now not having the best of experiences. And so I just really need to be clear about where I'm coming from. And he then responds with something like, hey, totally get, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I wouldn't have even thought that you would necessarily even be interested in me in that way. Um, totally imagine you could get someone a lot better. Like, to you know, he's trying to kind of say, oh, I'm such an idiot. And I'm then saying, well, no, no, please don't take this as rejection. Cause it wasn't. And it's sort of like, no, it, you are someone who I would otherwise be interested in because that was true. He's a good looking fellow and he's again, charming. Um, it's just not a good spot right now. So, you know, just know that and know where I'm coming from. So this is confusing. You, I mean, again, put yourself in the position of a guy who's receiving these mixed messages and who's not privy to any of what's going on in the background. So understandably, he's kind of confused, but Text messaging continues to happen and he's sort of trying to be helpful and say like, hey, well, what are your experiences like? I can provide some perspective. Yeah, I mean, some of you are rolling your eyes going, ah, that's a classic move. But anyway, and I think, sure. So I describe a little bit about what's going on and um, he basically, you know, gives his feedback and we, we have a few laughs, blah, blah, blah. But then the text messages start getting flirtatious again. And that's fine, except that I'm realizing for myself, oh crap, this is a me problem. I'm not being clear at all. And so in a moment of very little bandwidth, I finally, you know, he's just, he made some kind of a cocky comment like, oh, well, what do you need then? Do you need ba 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 ba? Like, you know, he's being, you know, suggestive. And I just said, you know what I really need? I need for this conversation to stop. And now he's really confused. So... The text messages from there just spiral into a disastrous conflict where he's now seeing, I mean, he's, I think, in his late 40s, early 50s. He's a fairly good looking uh, white 40s something, late, early 50s, cisgendered, heterosexual, conservative, Trump supporting man. 
And he's single, trying to date and navigate in a world of Me Too and Black Lives Matter, where from his perspective, it can feel like if he makes a wrong move, he could, it could be, ruin his life. He's feeling very defensive. He's feeling very on guard. I mean, he also lives in the upper Northwest, so he's not exactly with his people here. And from my perspective, I'm just at my limit with testosterone. And I'm just tired. (laughs) So my bandwidth is low. My willingness to be gentle is low. And so there we have the conflict spiraling. And in the midst of all of that, while I'm trying to make it clear where I'm coming from, the gentleman who I was seeing, the Mr. Teflon, comes over to have the conversation that we're supposed to have. And my neighbor can see this because he lives directly across from me. If you all out there, if there's anyone listening and you're not cringing, like, man, you've got tough skin. Uh, <laughs> so this is this is the drama of my life right now. So yeah, he and Mr. Teflon is gentlemanly and impeccable and honest and clear as we both hash out. Yeah, you know, neither of us has introduced the other person to our people. I haven't introduced you to my friends, to my family, and I think that says something about how we both feel about what's happening here. And But we also sit on the couch together and talk about how much we mean to each other and how much we appreciate each other and all of the good things. And it's like, okay, well, in essence, I was able to say to him, here's where I'm coming from at this point. If you want to continue any of these of the romantic aspects of this thing that we're doing, and that includes sex and sexuality, I'm going to need for us to give it a real shot. Or we do exactly what we're doing now, but just take sex and all of what comes with that out of the equation and just be friends. Or clean cut, no more, just we end it. And I am equally happy with any of those options. Uh, I'm comfortable with any of those options. So I'm not attached to the outcome, but ultimately I will tell you, because this is true of me, of course I do want a partner. I do, I love routines and rituals. I love when you have that person in your life that you can go to your favorite restaurant. I mean, maybe not right now because we're in the middle of COVID, but where you have your your thing together, the show you love to watch together or the movie that you want to go see or those little things that make you a unit. I said, I love that. I love feeling a little bit more um, enmeshed or merged together with someone. And I said, but... I don't need to have that with you. I just want to leave myself open to that in general. I'm not pining for it. It's not like, oh no, if I don't have it, I will be incomplete because, oh man, that's a recipe for a whole lot of unnecessary suffering. I can't control if and when that happens. I just know that I would like it. And so I either want it with the person who's also enthusiastic about that prospect or I want to be open for that possibility to happen if ever it does. And he was beautifully, delightfully understanding. Just like, yep, I get that. And he just said, let me think about it. To which I could only reply, take your time. Because I'm in no hurry. I just wanted to make sure this conversation was had. Because I'm done not having the tough conversations. And so he leaves. And when he leaves, I walk him out and he rides a motorcycle, which I think only added to the, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard not to notice a motorcycle. But of course, my neighbor sees that 
out walks this guy after several hours of being in my home to give me a hug and even a short but still sweet peck on the lips and a sweet goodbye and I'm like maybe I'll see you and maybe I won't. That's it. And so this guy who lives across from me is looking and going, oh, I see how it is. So you're going to just basically snap, like bite my head off over sexual innuendos and jokes. And at the exact same time, have some guy over and basically, you know, he assumed I was getting laid. I mean, wow. So that all is happening. And now there's this conflict with my neighbor. And this is something that gets stirred up. I'm now feeling legitimately fearful for my life because this man was ex-military. He lives across the way from me. He can see what goes on in my life. I don't feel like I have any privacy. This is frightening. And now he's angry with me and I go, crap. And so I lament to my friends and to a couple family members of what's happening. And they say, well, maybe you should get, you know, a security system, talk to your other neighbors. Should you consider, you know, taking any other steps? And then someone mentions, you know, this guy kind of sounds like your ex-fiance. The really uh, sort of knock him down, really blunt, uh, sometimes cruel, but ultimately well-intentioned person. And I thought, oh, right. That's probably exactly the temperament this guy has. If that's true, I spent two or three years with that other guy. I totally have got this. And the olive branch that my neighbor did put out to me was, okay, well, uh, if you want to stop texting and give me a call, then do that. This has more more than one function on a phone. And I thought, I need to take him up on that offer. So I do. I call him. And I'm pleasantly surprised to find the tone of his voice is even keeled, not not really defensive, open to a conversation and almost curious as to how I'm going to defend myself. Because from his end, he's seeing a cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs lady who maybe even is setting him up. Like he's feeling set up and ambushed and he's feeling confused by a schizophrenic kind of response. I'm friendly one minute and then short and biting the next. And I'm saying I hate men one minute and I'm inviting them into my home the next. I mean, that's got to be confusing as hell. And I am coming from the place of, well, that's none of your business, and so why don't you just leave me the flop alone? (laughs) So anyway, as we start to talking, and I'm saying to him, no, every time that I'm saying to you, like, we need to stop talking, I keep saying, even in my text messages, this is not your fault. This is my fault. I am being unclear. And it's because I'm in an unclear position right now. And I'm, I'm, it's not your fault. I'm not trying to ambush you. I don't want you to feel threatened. I don't want you to feel like I'm angry with you. I am angry and frustrated in general, but mostly I'm angry and frustrated with myself because, and this is maybe the parenthetical side note for you listeners. I don't know that this is something I find to be a common thread with highly sensitive people. This is our worst downfall. This is our Achilles heel. We are so good at figuring out what people want to hear. We are good at figuring out what people want us to do, how they want us to look, behave. And we've, many of us, master the art of chameleon-like adaptability. We walk into a space and we quickly assess what the space calls forth from us and we become that. We blend into the environment because what we've realized, at least this is what I've heard with my clients and this is what I keep hearing from anyone that I, who speaks to this topic, what we all realize is, Our sensitivity, our our sort of hypervigilance, 
it's viewed as odd. And I guess that makes sense. There's only 20% of us. We're the minority. And it's, if we're truly ourselves, that can be uncomfortable for people. So we figure out how to behave the way others want us to behave. And we delight in pleasing others because if they are happy, we feel their happiness. Or at least I do. When I make someone happy, I would love to tell you it's because it's purely from a generous space. But it's also, if I make you happy, I feel your joy on my own skin. So in making you happy, I make me happy. And in making you feel uncomfortable, I take on your discomfort. I don't need to. I, there are tools and there are skills that highly sensitive people can use to, to stop doing that. But as a rule, we're not taught that because who would teach us? You know, we're not going to find a Tony Robbins for HSPs. I mean, you know, I, they're, we're starting to see it. We're starting to see it for introverts, you know, like Susan Cain. And we're starting to see leaders in the realm of like vulnerability. So Brene Brown and I would say Glennon Doyle, author of uh, Untamed, is a fabulous example of a sensitive person who's really sort of coming into her own. So we're starting to see it, but we haven't had a lot of time because we're just starting to understand that this is a trait, that this is a thing. We've been hiding and we've been, you know, escaping into the woods like Walt Whitman. We've been hiding behind books or libraries. And now we live in a world where we are all visible, whether we like it or not. We're hiding behind nothing. There's nothing to hide behind anymore. And so here we all are trying to figure out, okay, how do I live in a world where I can't hide? And how do I adapt in a way that doesn't force me to adapt so much that I lose myself? Because what we HSPs tend to do is exactly that. We lose ourselves in turning into what we think the world wants to see. And I don't want to do that anymore. And I, I don't want to not, it's not that I don't want to do it just for my own self. It's, that's a big part of it. I want to be comfortable just being me, being able to say, I want this. I don't want that. I need this and I don't need that. That's revolutionary for me. And I'm extremely clumsy at it. Most people out there, are. this is not their shtick. They've been honing this in for a while. And maybe a big chunk of this too is also because I'm a woman. And so there's that extra layer of you better please, always be pleasing, always be gentle and kind. And I will tell you as a woman who's fairly petite, I'm only five foot three. And, you know, I've, if I'm in a sticky situation where I think that there's a threat in play, I don't have my, I don't have bronze as a, a tool or an option. I'm scrappy, I'm intelligent. Like I'm, I'm quick on my feet and I'm good at running. <laughs> like I might be able to outrun most perpetrators just by virtue of having more stamina. But I'm not a fighter, not in that sense. Uh, I, I could be, I could become one, but I'm not yet. I'm, again, I'm smart, I'm nimble, and I'm clever. That's what I've got going for me. And so I've learned to charm my way out of difficult situations or just block people out because at least now we live in the world of online dating where I can just be like, eh, you seem like a jerk, I'm out. But I couldn't do that in this with these four human beings that I had met and who knew who I was and where I live and all of it. And so on top of that, and even I would say much more importantly, 
I knew on some subtle level that even though nothing that I was doing was illegal or even necessarily objectively wrong, I wasn't living in accordance with my values. Me, the minimalist, seeing four different guys and trying to balance it all, oh God, what was I thinking? Me, the person who professes to want to be authentic and honest, basically just trying to be pleasing to all of these people, no, that won't work. So in the span of the last five or six weeks, it's been a series of really tough conversations with people that I historically have the hardest time being real and honest with. So it was being honest with one of my closest friends and one in which the one that I find to be kind of intimidating and I was honest, clumsily so, but I was honest nevertheless. And then when faced with rejection, the, the I'm just not that into you, it's like, okay, well, I can honestly tell you that that's fine. Uh, many blessings on your journey. And then with the next person, like the, okay, this is too complicated. We need to stop. And that felt honest, clumsy, but honest. And then with my neighbor, who, when all of this crazy texting was going out of line and becoming absurd, I picked up the phone and I decided, let's have a conversation. I told him about where I was coming from, and I told him about my crazy, and I told him about my attempt at trying to own all of what I was doing, and I apologized for the confusion that I understand now I was causing. And he took it in, and... I mean, he didn't apologize for his end of it, but he was at least able to say, okay, well, I appreciate that you're willing to have this conversation with me, and I feel better now. And we could have just ignored each other and sort of looked at each other, you know, flippantly, but now at least we can see more eye to eye. And that was good. And then that conversation evolved into, well, let's get to know each other a little bit better. Like, what? tell me more about you. And I was able to understand his politics, like, that he's conservative, his history is, he has history in the military, and his way of looking at the world is wildly different from my own. And ordinarily, as a hippy-dippy liberal, um, hearing, oh yeah, I I think Trump is fabulous, would be enough for me to go, but I thought, no, because a bigger reason why I'm sharing all of this chaos with all of you listeners is this, well, especially this last conversation, is a classic example of what's happening in our country. It was a micro version of what's happening on a macro level. We refuse to talk to each other. Like over and over, we see liberals congregating together, insisting that any conservative is on some level, I mean, I even listened to a podcast that someone recommended to me where he referred to the GOP hate machine. The GOP hate machine, what? Like, it's fine if you want to point fingers at a specific person and say, that guy, don't like what he's doing, or that woman, I don't like what she's doing. And you can tear apart their behavior and say, hey, that behavior is not acceptable. That's fine, but you don't get to label an entire political party as members of a hate machine because there are members in Congress who are conservative and who are working their butts off every day to do the best that they can and who really and truly believe that what they are doing is right. 
just as there are people in the Democratic Party who are every day going to work doing what they think is right. And we've reached this place in our our world right now where as soon as someone says, I believe X, we take that to mean a whole slew of other things about their character. And that won't heal this country. It wouldn't have healed my relationship with my neighbor. (laughs) And it's true. I could have, like a lot of my friends just said, oh my God, ignore him, get a security system, buy a gun and call it. And it's like, but no, I live across the street from this man. I don't want to feel unsafe. And I do right now. I feel unsafe. And having had that conversation, now it's awkward. It's weird. But at least I don't feel unsafe. I don't feel like this man is a threat in the same way. He could be. I mean, if he had decided that he wanted to ruin my life, he certainly can. I mean, I'm only five foot three. Like, <laughs> let's be real. But I, I don't think that that's where he's coming from. I don't think he's inherently evil. He's just different. And he, for his part, it was e- he could have easily just said, oh, I get it, some you know, hippy-dippy liberal snowflake who can't hang with a, like innocent joke and who's now accusing me of being X, Y, and Z and who's tearing apart my behavior when my behavior wasn't that bad. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And now at least he can say, I mean, he may still think like, yeah, this is weird. She's a weird chick. But she's not evil. She's just weird. But for two, three, I don't even remember it, but several hours we talked and we, you know, discussed our perspectives on the world and on our on each other's behavior and where we were coming from. And it's like, this is what highly sensitive people really struggle with. We're great at seeing the other person's point of view. I mean, as a general rule, not all of us HSPs are, but we are quite capable of it. But we aren't necessarily always good at saying, and also I disagree with you. And also here's where my boundary lies. And also here's what I like and here's what I don't like. And I'm noticing myself start to be willing to have those conversations. I'm noticing that even at work when I was engaged with a a colleague, a gentleman who, you know, bright and, and witty and he was talking about how meditation won't solve everything because sometimes it really is the case that it, your coworker or your boss is toxic. And no matter how much meditation you do, your boss will always be toxic. And it's like, nah. and I was able to just say, you know what? No, I disagree with you. I mean, I hear you. Yes, it might be true that the person you're working with may or may not be toxic. But ultimately, we don't have any control over that. We only have control over ourselves. And the more we refine our own systems and get clear on how we think and why we think what we think and what our patterning is, the more effective we become at engaging in the world around us. And if what we're having to engage with is something that's toxic, yeah, maybe ultimately we have to leave that situation. But in the meantime, how do we navigate it effectively and communicate ourselves assertively? And that is what we HSPs, as I've said many times, that's what we tend to struggle with. And that's what I'm willing to to. I'm willing to put on the gloves and say, okay, let's do this. Like, let's, let's go hash this out. And the willingness to have those tough conversations is what our country needs. It's the willingness to, to shove aside all of our assumptions about a human being and say, I'm going to engage with you anyway, and I'm going to get curious. And maybe this will end up being a disaster and maybe I'll end up hating you on the other side of it, but I still need to have this conversation. I need to be living in alignment with my values. 
And if we can learn to do that, and this is especially true of highly sensitive people, because we do have a unique perspective to offer. We are unique in our disapproval of unnecessary conflict because we hate it so much. And also we have a unique perspective in that we see things other people don't, they don't see with the level of nuance that many other people aren't looking from. And we often hide. We don't speak our minds because we don't want to make waves. But the world needs our waves. The world needs people like us to be more clear and to ask better questions. And I know even though I'm doing this whole thing with so much clumsiness, it's not even funny. Like nothing I'm doing is graceful. I'm lost. I'm a lost puppy. And even so, I'm still doing the work. You know, a toddler who stands up and really gets on its two feet and starts walking around, it doesn't look graceful at first, but man, the look of pride on that baby's face when suddenly those little feet are walking across the floor. That's how I feel right now. There's a sense of pride because even though I'm doing it poorly and clumsily, I'm still doing it. I'm still making these conversations happen. And in the midst of all of this, also, I'm studying to get certified as a yoga instructor because I've had such profound uh, results with studying yoga, both the yoga sutras as well as engaging in yoga practices. And so I thought, let's kind of dive deeper into this. And so I start reading the Bhagavad Gita because it's part of the reading requirements. And I've always been intrigued by it, so it's not like that was a tough sell. And if you've ever read the Bhagavad Gita or if you know anything about it, what's funny is it's all set on a battlefield. So there's two characters, and I don't really need to relay the, you know, the names of each, but one is a god, or it's the universe, or you can call it the witness. It's that... It, it, the origin of all things and the death of all things, this being. And then there's the young man who's trying to get out of a battle that he doesn't want to fight because the battle he's about to fight will includes his own family members fighting against other family members. So this is cause for a lot of contention amongst people who are uh, who read these texts, there's a lot of people who are just like, wait, what? why would you make it a battlefield? Like if you're trying to, because in this conversation that I'm, okay, let me back up. So it's set on the battlefield. A young man does not want to fight because he's realizing some of the people he'll be fighting are members of his own family. And the God before him is saying, yeah, you got to do it anyway. And so this conversation where, you know, that, that's unfolding where the young man says, but I don't want to. And how can you encourage me to do that? That seems against all things that are right in this world where, you know, it's not peaceful. It's not loving. It's not right. And this godlike figure says, but it is though. Like to do something right doesn't mean to do it to, to like abstain from life. It means to live your dharma. It means, in other words, to live your life as yourself. And what a lot of scholars have said about this so-called battlefield is it's symbolic. We all go out into the world and if we really want to engage in any kind of self-inquiry or spiritual growth, the people we have to fight are inside of us. Our own patterns, our own schemas, our own... Uh, habits that aren't working for us anymore. We have to battle and grapple with 
aspects of ourselves that we are very attached to. So as a highly sensitive person, I am extremely attached to me as a likable, affable, easygoing, flexible, beloved human. I don't want to have to fight that off, but I have to. That's the message in the Bhagavad Gita is you've got to go like practice yoga, my dear one. Practice it and do meditation and get clear on who you are. But don't escape the world. Get back in it. Get into the battlefield. Get into the arena, in other words. You know, you might think that quote from Teddy Roosevelt when he talks about the man in the arena. You know, it's not the critic who counts. It's the man who's in the arena, who's bloody and marred and dusted. And he's, you know, who, who, air, who, who strives valiantly and who errs. And if he loses, at least he loses having dared greatly. And if he wins, he knows great victory. That's the one who counts. And in the same way in the Bhagavad Gita, he's saying, young man, you don't get to abstain from this battle. You have to go out there and you have to live your life as yourself. You have to deal with the hand that you were dealt. And that is a perfect metaphor for little Leah, little HSP Leah, (laughs) who's trying desperately to avoid conflict like the plague and who's realizing that in doing so, I'm being inauthentic, I'm being unkind, and I'm being unreal. And so that, dear friends, is the the juice of this whole podcast episode. I I would love to tell you that all is right in the world now. And uh, now on the other side of it, um, after all of this, I found Mr. Right, Mr. Lucky number five out of (laughs) all of this. And and now all is well. And no, that's not how it is. Right now, I am alone. But that's okay because I've had those tough conversations. And the most important conversation I've had in all of this is the conversation that I need to have with myself. I'm starting to get more clear on what it is that I really want with my relationships. What kind of friendships do I want to have? Like I, I've spent so much of my life asking questions like, how can I serve? How can I add value? How can I be pleasing? You know, how can I please you? And how can I make your life easier? And now I'm starting to ask bolder questions in addition to those, because there's nothing wrong with wanting to add value or to serve. But now I'm asking questions like, what kind of relationships do I want? What are my primary values? What kinds of, like, how do I want to behave in my relationships so that my values are expressed in my behavior. How might the people I invite in add value to my life? Like that, like that's revolutionary for little Leah to be sitting there asking, wait a second, this is a two-way street. Are you adding any value in my life? That's huge. And that was the thing that I had to contend with with all of these gentlemen. And It wasn't a question of whether or not I was pleasing these guys. Clearly, I was on some level. I mean, not the Mr. You know, single dad dude who was sort of like, I'm done now. Like, not him. He was fine. But even with him, he said, I would love to still be friends if that's something you're open to. And I had said, you know, I, I have a good life and I have a full one. I was just making room for you in it. Please don't make a bid for friendship unless you feel a pull to. And even with him, he said, I would never ask if I didn't really want it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, come on, buddy. We all ask for all kinds of things that we don't actually really want. 
Um, so nice try. I didn't say that to him, but in my mind. But so even with him, I was sort of like, no, I, I don't want to do that because that wouldn't add value into my life. I don't need a friend to be friends with someone who's so unclear about what he wants and who so easily moves from completely integrating me into his life and introducing me to his neighbors and his child and all of that. And then to switch gears and decide, Ooh, actually now I need the space because this, it's like, that's clearly you're not in a good spot right now. You don't know what you want. Or if you do know what you want, you don't know how to articulate that on the front end. And I've got enough of that on my own to deal with. So I don't want that. That won't add value to my life. So I didn't say no to him because I didn't think he, like, because it's like, oh, I wouldn't be able to add value. I said no because I thought that's too much work. That's not a friendship that would add value for me. So I'm not going to invite it in. That's too much complexity. And it was the same with each of these other gentlemen. They aren't adding value to me. Whoa, that's why I don't want it. And so I was willing to have these difficult conversations with these guys and I didn't do it well. These guys, my friend and all of these people, the most important one I had was the one I had with myself where now I'm starting to ask better questions. Maybe not better, but more nuanced questions. More questions that are more holistic that speak to my desire to improve the lives of others as well as my desire for the people I invite in to improve my life. And that's even leaking into how I coach. I'm realizing, you know, I do need to be more clear about what I'm worth and how much money to charge and what I want to put forth in the world and what I want my coaching practice to look like and how often I do podcasting and what kind of blogs I do. Because I have a tendency to just always want to be producing content, which is fine, but what if the content I'm producing is lackluster and meh because... I'm so busy just trying to tick off a to-do list item that I'm not thinking about what the experience is like for my listeners or what the experience is like for me while I'm engaging in this act. So anyway, all of this is an awful lot of gobbledygook and a lot of personal stuff. Um, if you have questions about the details, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to share it with you because I, do, I really cherish it when people that I whose company I like to keep and whose voice I like to hear. So if you happen to like mine, I appreciate it when they bring their own lives into the fold and they're willing to get vulnerable. If this felt to you like a, you know, too much unloading, my apologies, my poor listeners, but my intention is a good one because all I really want to show is this is what it looks like when someone who's not good at being assertive makes an attempt. When someone who's spent most of her life trying to be a pleaser, makes an attempt at pleasing herself. Even if what it results in is sitting in an empty room. Well, there's a desk, technically. But in an empty room in a pretty Spartan house that belongs to me. But no one else. There are no partners. There is no... Riding off into the sunset with Prince Charming, there's no happily ever after because, as Angelina Jolie and Mr. and Mrs. Smith says, happy endings are just stories that aren't finished yet. And yet, at the same time, it is a kind of happily ever after 
because in my core of cores, like somewhere deep buried underneath all of the chaos and confusion of my life right now, and the chaos and confusion of our world right now, pandemic and civil unrest and economic uncertainties all included, in the midst of all of that, there's this inner knowing that it will be okay. Not it will be okay, but that I will be. Because I have enough strength and trust in myself to navigate it. Even if I don't always do it well, I have the courage enough to try. And that matters to me. So if there's any of you out there who can relate to this stuff, who might be hungry to, to dissect your own challenges around assertive communication, around even being willing to ask yourself the question about what kinds of things you want for your own life, please reach out. So you can find me. Um, you can reach out to me by email. L-E-A-H, so Leah, at thehealthysensitive.com. Uh, you can go to my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com, and you can reach out with the Contact Me page. Uh, I will be reinstating meetup groups again because my bandwidth is starting to come back online, and that's always great. Um, I'm moved in and feeling settled, and that also feels great. So, yeah, um, Please reach out if you have any questions. If you're interested in coaching, I will be putting forth uh, more information about coaching packages uh, and all the things that I'm planning on coaching on. And I'm going to be putting together some group classes. So I'll be talking about different events that I'll be putting forth uh, in the near future. So yeah, please stay tuned. I'll be unfolding all of the things and all of the offerings because... Woo-wee! Uh, took, a, took a breather there for a minute to go and explore the world of finding a mate and dating and being light and fluffy and unplugging and uh, feeling sated. <laughs> Back to the grind, girl. Back to the grind. Um, uh, thank you so much for listening. I know this was a rather long podcast. I'm looking forward to checking in with you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.